Hey, I'm Michael Whistler, and I sincerely believe that science fiction can help us save the world. If we're paying attention, which is questionable at times. In this episode, I lose all hope momentarily, and, and, and then and then I pick myself up a little bit, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. This is Exploring Tomorrow. I wanted to begin this episode by addressing uh, an event that took place uh, this week. As you may know already from previous episode in this podcast, where I discuss at length the book and movie Contact, that was a very formative story for me uh, as a person and as a science fiction writer. So one of the key landmarks and towards the beginning of the movie uh, Contact is the large uh, radio telescope at the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico. And it's just this massive structure. You know, you might have also seen it, I think it was in Goldeneye, um, James Bond movie, where there's like a big chase fight sequence kind of thing. I got to know the Arecibo uh, Observatory from watching the movie Contact and then later read the book and all that kind of stuff. A uh, really fascinating place. Well, uh, you may have already run across the news that this week, thank you 2020, the Arecibo um, radio telescope has collapsed. Uh, pretty impressive structure that unfortunately is falling has fallen into disrepair and uh, literally fell apart. And I was struck by the, the emotional response I had to that. And I felt like it was just, it was a, like that reality, that happening uh, perfectly, I think encapsulates a bit of my answer to a recurring question that, that I have had from various people. And in fact, just had the other week on a different podcast that I was a guest on, on the Votary Films podcast, where uh, actually some of my coworkers were asking me about why is uh, science fiction seemingly uh, pessimistic about the future of humanity. And I feel like I can point to the Arecibo Observatory um, incident as a perfect encapsulation of why so many science fiction writers take uh, a potentially pessimistic view of humanity. I mean, we have the ability to fund so much, right? We, man, we are good at funding war. We more than happy to fund entertainment, sports, so many other things. But when it comes to education, when it comes to scientific research for the sake of advancing knowledge, because we tend to measure ROI or return on investment strictly in dollars, we 
don't seem to be doing a very good job as human beings in uh, maintaining those things. Now, I'll temper that perspective a little bit with uh, pointing out that I think people like um, Professor uh, Steven Pinker, uh, who's written several books, including a really fascinating book called Enlightenment Now, yeah, he argues very effectively in that book that, look, as a human species, as a race, we are elevating ourselves continuously. And it really is true that there is no better time to be uh, born into this world than right now, historically speaking, when we really take in the real context and breadth of human history and where we've been and what most of human history like for most people. So being born today, you have a greater chance at least at a better, uh, higher quality of life existence on this planet. So I like to keep that perspective in mind because I think that's true. I also think that events like this week in, in Arecibo um, perfectly indicate why or illustrate why uh, it is maybe easier for science fiction writers to have a predominantly pessimistic view of humanity's future. Uh, when we see these really, you know, emblematic, iconic landmarks for human, uh, the advancement of human knowledge, uh, to literally crumble, uh, that is just indicative of misplaced priorities, I think, for us as a species. So it can be disheartening, and there can be a lot of reasons why all of that sort of plays into each other. So, with all of that in mind, I thought on this episode we would take a little time to explore something a little different. Rather than dive down deep into the guts of pessimistic science fiction, which there is plenty of, maybe let's talk about some optimistic or at least more nuanced but hopeful uh, views of where humanity might be able to go and might be headed. Uh, so I wanted to bring up some stories that have helped me temper my pessimism uh, as a science fiction writer myself and just as a general human being who's probably more pessimistic than op optimistic, if I'm being honest. So I wanted to share that with you. And I also want to invite you to share with me uh, what your science fiction stories that, that inspire optimism are. What are your favorites? What should I be reading or watching? Because uh, I want more. I want more of that. So if, if I don't mention something that you're like, hey, you missed this, then please comment, reach out to me, let me know that I missed it, uh, because it probably just means, one, I either didn't think of it for some reason, uh, or two, pretty good chance I haven't seen it just because, or haven't, haven't read it, just because, let's face it, there's a lot of content out there, and as much as I try to be active in exposing myself to all kinds of stories, um, there's always more. So I humbly ask you to please let me know what I should be checking out. 
So let's dive in to maybe discussing what might be some hopeful stories. I wanted to be able to bring in some suggestions here for both some things you could read as well as some movies you could watch. If you're like me, um, 2020 has been one hell of a year and uh, I didn't have that. Like it's how 2020 of 2020 to just like have the, the Arecibo Observatory like kick the bucket in December. Like, oh, you know, like you, th you think it can't get much weirder and just like more peculiarly disheartening. <laughs> and yet somehow 2020 manages to do it. So, you know, but here we are. So if you're needing to pick me up, I wanted to suggest some stuff that might be of uh, helpful to you. And uh, please suggest your sci-fi pick me up to me because I need it. So I'm going to start off with some books and then we're going to get into some movies and there'll be a little bit of crossover between those. So starting off, uh, I would like to suggest a book that I uh, checked out uh, earlier this year uh, called Do You Dream of Terra 2 by Tammy O. Uh, really cool science fiction uh, novel about colonizing another planet. Uh, and it's a nuanced, I would say it's a nuanced view of what humanity's future might be like. It's a bit of an alternate uh, history, as it were, uh, also at the same time, because there's really a sense in which we as a species never slowed down. Like what if we just never slowed down in our pursuit of space travel? Where could we be going even now if we had really stuck with it um, at the height of the Apollo missions and, and so forth? Uh, and and I so, so that right there is already a bit of a you might even argue a wishful thinking kind of perspective. Maybe it's like a little too hopeful because it's a bit, it's like basically like saying, what if the space race hadn't been, um, well, you know, about the cold war, it, it, just this ridiculous dick measuring contest between the USSR and, and the United States. Um, and then, Oh, Hey, us won. So now we just, I don't know, don't really need to do much more. We uh, figured out orbiting. Uh, that, that was cool, I guess. Uh, fun fact, there is uh, a Russian orbiter uh, that fell into disrepair and, and never really was launched. And uh, kind of that's its own interesting story. Because again, we're just racing against each other. What if we could have done science for the sake of science, discovery for the sake of discovery? Um, and there's some, you no, know, there's some honest harsh, uh, there's a bit of a harsh perspective of humanity in it too. And I think you have to have that to a degree to really appreciate, um, what, uh, you know, what we, what we need to do to rise up and actually be able to make progress. Um, as such, it's, I would say, do you dream of Terra too, as a bit of a nuanced book in that capacity, but highly, uh, entertaining, very fascinating characters. And ultimately, I think it has an inherently optimistic view of what humans are capable of when we 
actually set aside our, our differences and our prejudices and actually work towards uh, something that's bigger than us, than, and especially bigger than each of us as individuals. And as such, I definitely recommend Do You Dream of Terra 2 by Tamio. Really cool book, and I highly enjoyed it. In fact, that's one I probably want to revisit at one point, at, at some point here. Next to my recommendation, a really very unique and different take on the whole idea of colonizing Mars. Uh, I ran across this book a few years ago, and being a big fan of Ben Bova, I had to check it out. So this book is Mars Inc., or Mars Incorporated, by Ben Bova. It's basically... I mean, we kind of see it unfolding before us now with Elon Musk and uh, SpaceX and all of that. But basically, it's a very different type of science fiction novel in that it's not so much about the science as it is about the business and particularly the personality, the person, this this business, you know, tech guru type guy, Elon Musk asked though, you know, ultimately, as far as I can tell from just news about Elon Musk, uh, a very, very distinctly different person than, than Musk. So it's not really some sort of attempt at a, at a weird fictional biography of Elon Musk. The character in Bova's novel is definitely his own person. What was cool about the book is it does examine what, what would it take to get us to go to Mars from the perspective of business. I mean, in that sense, you know, Bova's taking the realistic uh, view, which I think, again, we see playing out in reality, which is that um, it's not, it's not going to be government funded and we're not going to do science just for the sake of science. Uh, it's going to have to be led by someone charismatic who's passionate about it, who's, th this is their dream. And they've figured out, They've built their ability to do this through business, and so they can fund and make it happen. They're not the person who's going to go there and set foot on Mars, but they are the ones who are going to make it possible for humanity to advance their scientific knowledge and branch out and continue to exist uh, and live on in this tradition of exploration that we have had as a species uh, to gain new knowledge and to see new sites and to gain new understanding. And so as such, I think it's a pretty um, nuanced, realistic, um, but very fun take on that side of, so what does it take business-wise to make it to Mars? Um, so I found it highly entertaining and, uh, and you know, first, you know, it's kind of interesting as a guy who's mostly Mr. Science Fiction uh, writer and, and, you know, in the movies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, every now and then, you know, like these, these kinds of businessy things really um, kind of nerd me out and I, and I like it. And this was a book that kind of merged that sort of geeking out over business and geeking out over sci-fi all in one thing. So high praise for, for Bova on that one. I recommend it if you need a little something more hopeful. Now, if you want to dive in to long-term 
where are we really going to be able to go as a species? Can we actually achieve uh, big goals or are we just going to slide down, uh, you know, this nasty slippery slope? A really cool book I recommend is Arkwright by Alan M. Steele. Really fascinating science fiction novel that spans a huge, huge swath of time and has a big cast of characters because it's, 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 you're dropping in at these various moments around this much bigger narrative of the long-standing mission to colonize another planet. And uh, I don't want to give too much away because it's just a really, fascinating story and plus like honestly there's I, there's not much i can say without like starting to like get into the weeds considering how big an epic of a tale it is uh but i highly recommend it really really intriguing story so you get this nice look back and, and actually, what's really cool is that the where it starts is you start with this fictional uh, science fiction writer who was there in the supposedly in the early days, you know, so he would have been a contemporary of the greats, right? Uh, uh, Asimov and, and Heinlein. Uh, so his name was Arkwright and he ends up uh, being very famous, uh, very wealthy and starts a foundation to that. The objective is to fund the research and development necessary for uh, human uh, colonization of another planet. And so that's where the story starts. And then you slowly go through kind of the, the generations of the family and uh, others who are working at the organization at different points along this journey uh, to colonize another planet. And it's just fascinating. Uh, it's really, you know, I, I, I sometimes struggle with books that have multiple characters um, or multiple storylines, kind of like that, where where you've only like with this character for a little while, and then it's like, oh, now we're on this thing, and you don't, you know, it's more of an ensemble vignette kind of thing. Uh, it's episodic in that way. I sometimes struggle with books like that, but Arkwright, it, it you know, the writing's great and the characters are great. So each time I started a new section. Um, I was a little sad to leave the old section because like, oh, but I like those characters, which is kind of good. You want to like be able to, it means it didn't overstay its welcome. And, uh, but it also like, I very quickly got into the new characters in the new section. It was very intrigued, like, oh, okay, no, what's happening now? Uh, so Arkwright, highly recommend it. Check it out. I think it's a good, you know, shot in the arm, uh, might, might help you pick you up. Uh, so I, I might have to revisit that one. Next up is actually one of my favorite novels I've read in a long time. A fascinating, hard sci-fi, first contact novel called Saturn Run, written by John Sanford and Steen. Steen? 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 I think it's Steen. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm just going to straight up read you the, the blurb quote here the endorsement from Stephen King on the back of 
the book because that's what got me when I ran across it at a bookstore. Uh, this, you know, first couple sentences of Stephen King's endorsement of the book got me. I was like, um, shut up and take my money. You know, he, uh, Stephen King says, John Sanford is an amazing protean writer and Saturn Run is a terrific story of alien first contact. It's a book Michael Crichton would have enjoyed, but never could have written. He didn't have Sanford's gift for good humor and his uncanny ear for dialogue. I mean, that was it. That's all it took. And I was like, shut up and take my money. Beautiful stuff. And it's so true. It really is a book that if you're a Michael Crichton fan and if you like that kind of sense of hard sci-fi that's, that's still like fast paced and has a lot of action and very interesting characters in it, um, it, it definitely got all those things. But yeah, it is, it is genuinely funny. And I, yeah, I do think there's deeper, more engaging character development in Saturn Run than in most of Crichton's novels. I will completely grant that. What's more, it's a really fascinating story about human first contact with aliens. Um, and, and so the basic premise is just that uh, we spot an object out around Saturn that's slowing down. Well, if you know anything about physics, anything about outer space, you know that nothing naturally occurring decelerates. That has to have some sort of power acting on it. Thanks to Newton's laws, object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by some outside force. So there's got to be something acting upon it. That, of course, brings alarms and everybody's like, um, I, th I think we found something. And upon further investigation, they think, yeah, yeah, that's pretty clear evidence that there's something out there around Saturn that is not from the neighborhood and is definitely not naturally occurring. Uh, so it must be something that has some level of intelligence. And then it becomes what's fascinating uh, here too is and you get to deal with this race now between the United States and China to see who's going to get out there to actually be first to make contact and kind of set the tone for the interaction with this alien species. Uh, so along the way, you get a really, really amazingly plausible, well-researched uh, science around what it would take to build a ship capable of this journey and capable of making this journey fast um, because Saturn is a long way away. So with our conventional rockets right now, you, you'd be years trying to get out there. Then it would just be completely impractical. You would never be able to take the amount of supplies necessary to keep everybody alive for the decades that it would take to get out there. But with this, you know, not quite there yet technology, but that is theoretically possible, uh, Sanford and Steen are able to, to tell the story, make it happen. And, and it's, so you get to geek out over that kind of stuff, but also the characters are really, really enjoyable, really relatable. Um, 
and and the journey that they go on the is is awesome it's just a lot of fun it's definitely a book that i want to revisit and on the whole while there is we have glimpses of yeah this is you know humanity humanity is kind of messy and problematic and that that tension and conflict of are the chinese going to get there first are we going to get there first and there's even kind of the question of well who's who's really the good guy in all of this right it's it's nuanced in that way but ultimately its message and its perspective on humanity remains i think on the optimistic side and as such i recommend it as a bit of an optimistic look. All right, we're going to transition slightly here. I'm going to recommend a couple that I won't spend a lot of time talking about because I've already had episodes on them. Uh, but these next two have both books and movies. So you take your pick. If you want to read, if you want to watch, either way. Of course, I'm talking about Contact and The Martian. Uh, both of these are ones that I've covered already in previous episodes. Uh, so I encourage you to check out those episodes if you want a more of an in-depth look of why I am personally drawn and impacted by uh, these stories. Uh, I encourage you to check out those episodes. Uh, but I do think both of them ultimately have a, a essentially optimistic view of humanity. And... Um, and are hopeful about what we're capable of doing uh, and what we can achieve if we, um, again, set aside uh, sort of our, our demons, our, our, you know, less helpful tendencies, maybe the diplomatic way of putting that. All right, let's dive into some movies. Uh, maybe you're not uh, really into reading, though I hope you will consider checking out some of these books because seriously, they're good. And a lot of them are uh, audiobooks that you can check out as well. But if you're wanting to watch a movie and just be able to get a breath of fresh air, as it were, and get a bit of a different perspective uh, on what humanity is capable of and uh, maybe remain a little more hopeful about what humanity will be able to do uh, within the realm of science uh, in our future, then I have a few titles to recommend and one not to. <laughs> so let's start off with just a really fun, uh, completely implausible in a lot of ways, uh, but really fun uh, science fiction movie called The Wandering Earth. It's a Chinese-made film with really fantastic visuals, uh, and, and it just fits well within sort of the disaster movie genre. So the enemy here is not really humans did something terrible. It, it really is a circumstance kind of situation, and then human beings have to kind of rise up, figure out how we're going to survive this and how we're going to innovate and ensure the future of, of humanity. And so you end up with this planet that is now planet Earth being steered out uh, elsewhere so it can find a new star to be able to uh, be its uh, source of, of heat and power and energy, all those things. Um, it's really, so like I say, it's a it's pretty implausible concept. 
Uh, but as such, it's still really fun. And I think essentially a, an optimistic view of what humanity is capable of if we, again, put ourselves uh, to the task of rising up to our biggest challenges and actually working together to innovate and create solutions to that end. Uh, mostly it's an action movie uh, and with a lot of big explosions and, and great sets and, and good special effects. So if you just kind of, you know, if you want hopeful and borderline, just kind of like, I want to watch an action movie, The Wandering Earth, why not? It's a fun, little ridiculous, and uh, quite entertaining. Next up, uh, I actually want to recommend a movie that I've already uh, discussed uh, on this podcast, Arrival. So I'll encourage you to check out that uh, episode. Uh, while on the surface, it might be easy to point to it and say, Ah, well, isn't it kind of pessimistic because humanity is uh, fighting each other or like kind of there's a lot of tension around who's going to talk to the aliens and all of that. Um, I say stick with it because there is ultimately underlying all of that uh, a distinct hopefulness about what we are capable of doing as human beings uh, when we choose to listen to to love and empathy and uh, and hopefulness rather than fear um, and so as such i think arrival fits well within that realm of more optimistic science fiction that looks at humanity and says hey you know what though we're capable of some really good things and if we if we listen to the people who are not being guided by fear we we might be able to go some great places so for that reason, I want to recommend Arrival. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. It's definitely, as I said previously on this podcast, not just one of the best science fiction films of recent years. It is actually just one of the best films of recent years. Now, I got a recommendation that is, hmm, I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day. Is, is gravity science fiction? Because the science in it is, for the most part, not fictional. I mean, you know, they take some liberties at some points. And, and actually, uh, Mythbusters Jr. Uh, busted the, um, the whole idea that uh, Sandra Bullock could have used, um, you know, a, a fire extinguisher to propel herself uh, or really to change her direction when she was already being propelled one direction uh, that it wouldn't quite put in out enough thrust to do that. So there's some, some gaps in the science there, but that's fine. This That's nitpicky, nerdy stuff. Uh, fun for a, a Mythbusters uh, episode. Um, but the reason I say, is it even science fiction? Well, you know, you know, it's, it's the shuttle. It the movie came out after the, the, you know, shuttle program was already shut down by, by NASA. Uh, last launch was in 2011. Uh, so, you, you know, it, it already is kind of a in the past kind of story. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's just a survival drama set in space, which we tend to think of as science fiction, except for plenty of human beings, um, both current and, and uh, are in the past already in the last several decades, 
of living in space is just part of their job. It's part of their lived reality. Uh, so in that sense, I'm not entirely sure I can actually qualify it as science fiction, though it's kind of science fiction adjacent. And it is ultimately, uh, you know, many people have argued that it's, a, you know, it's essentially a triumph of humanism um, that, you know, it's, you know, again, rising to face circumstances and defeat uh, the odds and survive. Uh, and as such, it's it's a fun, fascinating movie um, and uplifting in that capacity. So I'll drop it in here. It's kind of an honorable mention. Maybe, maybe not a full appropriate recommendation, but, you know, an honorable mention in here. Now, to switch gears... Um, take a moment for a dishonorable mention. <laughs> That's a thing, right? People do that. Dishonorable mention. Um, you know, as I was looking through, um, my, my rating of movies on, on IMDb, just looking for, okay, so what are science fiction movies I've seen that I feel like are generally hopeful that I liked and I want to recommend? Um, you know, first of all, it was surprisingly hard. Uh, like I came up with the list for the books way quicker than I did for movies. And I think that says something, and you know, I've watched thousands of movies. Um, and yet I can way more quickly come up with uh, science fiction books that I feel are hopeful. Says something about movies, doesn't it? I mean, maybe it just has to do with the fact that there's just a pressure to make sure that movies have lots of conflict, that the stakes are high and all of that. So it's easier to imagine the future where, you know, it's very dystopian uh, and Terminator's uh, taken over and humanity's on the brink of extinction, all that kind of stuff. It's just riddled with conflict right off the bat. So maybe that's just why it's easier. Maybe, I don't know, maybe moviegoers tend to go to more pessimistic movies for some reason. Or we just like the underdog story. So when we feel like, ah, oh, humanity's the underdog, the, you know, the, the, the aliens are going to totally destroy us, uh, or the matrix is, is gonna get us as it were. Um, then we feel like, yeah, awesome. The human underdogs won. Maybe that's what's going on there. I don't know. That's probably something for to explore on a different episode. Um, but it was interesting to note that it was surprisingly hard to find optimistic science fiction movies. But I did come across one movie that I was like, oh, yeah, I remember watching this. And I think on the whole, it has an optimistic view of humanity. It just, unfortunately, the movie sucks. And I'm talking about Passengers. Yeah, Passengers. That one with, uh, you know, with those two. Um, look, they do a fine job. And, and the movies, the set's beautiful. And the concept of the, uh, uh, you know, generation ship that instead of having to be a generation ship, has everybody frozen cryosleep um, to, to do this interstellar travel to colonize another planet. Really cool. So the reason I bring it up is that, 
Yeah, Passengers has an essentially optimistic view of humanity and that capacity, but ultimately the movie just doesn't work for me. And a lot of other people have have also dissected the weird, creepy nature of the main character waking up this girl he's never met. He's just in love with her frozen body there in her cryo chamber. And uh, he decides, you know, he's going to wake her up and doom her to a life alone with him on this ship uh, that, you know, like it's going to take like 200 years, 300, I don't know, something crazy like that to, to reach its destination. And yet, uh, you know, because he woke up by some fluke and the malfunction of his cryo bed, he's, he's stuck on this ship alone and decides, well, he's, he's too in love with this girl and he's going to unfreeze her. And ultimately, you know, I could dive in deep into why the movie doesn't work. Um, I actually really recommend you check out Nerdwriter's um, dissection of that and sort of like how it could have been a more interesting, though darker movie if it would have just been edited differently. But ultimately, the movie just doesn't work. It's just got this Stockholm Syndrome weirdness to it and uh, tries to ultimately be a love story where really it's um it's a you know pretty brutal thing that ultimately uh he's done the choice he's made against uh her will and as such i i ended up hating the movie um thought it was just just a, a, an attempt at a weird sort of romantic not comedy but a romantic drama in space uh, which would have been a cool enough concept in its own right. They hadn't just gone for such a creepy premise. that just this is so... Ugh. So, no. It's unfortunately trash in my eyes. Uh, I cannot in good conscience recommend it. Sorry. So back to recommendations. I do like Danny Boyle's Sunshine. That was a pretty cool movie. Now... It has some problems towards the end. Um, it, it, I think the story kind of gets away from itself a little bit. But on the whole, it has an essentially optimistic view of humanity in terms of, you know, trying to reignite the, the sun as it's dying and uh, ensuring humanity's survival. And the fact that we're, again, capable of mounting this expedition and actually undertaking this mission is pretty significant, pretty big thing. Uh, and as such, uh, it's a an essentially optimistic view of what humanity is capable of in, in rising up to meet these really quite dire circumstances. And as such, I think that it's worthy of mention. Similar, on a similar note, is uh, another such uh, movie, Deep Impact. Uh, came out right around the time of Armageddon. Armageddon's a little more blockbustery. <laughs> I guess that's the word for it. Um, fun movie in its own right, uh, but its science is utterly ridiculous. Deep Impact, on the other hand, presents, I think, a more human view of what we would be facing uh, with the imminent impact 
of an asteroid headed our way and what would could we do to ensure our survival again uh, i think it has a more optimistic view of what humanity is capable of doing it's not a hundred percent optimistic because obviously we're flawed and we're complex and and we're capable of both horrible atrocities and also great advancements and great empathy so I want to mention that one as well. That's digging back into the 90s. Um, but hey, worthwhile uh, moving nonetheless. Speaking of digging back a little bit, I want to close with a really interesting, fun, and uh, I think often overlooked uh, science fiction movie. Uh, that definitely was very uh, memorable to me when I saw it years ago. Bicentennial Man, starring Robin Williams. Always a favorite of mine, uh, Robin Williams. Uh, but Bicentennial Man has got a really fascinating view. And actually at the core of it is even the question of what does it even mean to be human? Uh, so we follow this decades-long journey of you know, the life of this robot that becomes more complex and gains sentience and and continues to live and and what his progression his life and his existence is like with its long view of life that way and at that question of what really makes us human i think it ultimately has an essentially optimistic view of where we're going as a species and what we're capable of so i think it's worth mentioning and certainly one that, uh, you know, as I look through my list of movies, uh, science fiction, optimistic movies, I feel like I got to go back and revisit that one um, because it certainly left a really great impression on me. And that question at the center of it is one that I think continues to be very important. And as I've alluded to in other episodes is something I think that's right around the corner for us as a species to be asking exactly what does what does being human mean when we start having uh, artificial intelligence that really does achieve that kind of level of sentience and uh, autonomy? And uh, what does it mean for us when we start merging ourselves and our bodies with that kind of technology? So there's some good things in there to try to unpack and explore. And also just a, a very uh, well done, well told story. Uh, so definitely check out Bicentennial Man if you're needing a different sort of view of science fiction. So those are my recommendations this episode. Hopefully this is uh, worthwhile um, for you. Have you seen or read any of these uh, movies and books? Uh, what do you think you want to check out first? Um, and what should I check out? Please, by all means, tell me. Uh, uh, what should I be reading? What should I be watching? Uh, not included on this list are TV shows. So maybe uh, some TV shows that I should be watching that maybe have an optimistic view of humanity and where we're going. Please recommend those. I want to check them out. And maybe they'll even be something that we can discuss uh, on an episode, future episode here of Exploring Tomorrow. As always, uh, I really appreciate it if you would take a moment to hit the follow button, subscribe button, uh, and uh, be able to keep up with this podcast. 
And you can check out michaelwhistler.com where you can see blog entries and keep up with other things I'm doing, as well as checking out um, my science fiction uh, novels. And then you can see, well, does Michael have a uh, pessimistic or optimistic view of humanity? Uh, I invite you to find out for yourself uh, and checking out some of the short stories or novels that I have uh, available. Uh, they're also just available uh, through any uh, major bookseller out there. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope it was encouraging to you, uh, or maybe it was just therapy for me, a way to process the uh, collapse at Arecibo, and um, just try to take a moment to remember that maybe there's some stories out there that will help encourage us to continue exploring and uh, discovering and learning and uh, building a better future for our species. Um, at least that is my hope, and uh, I hope it's yours too. Thanks so much for being part of this journey. Be safe, be well, stay creative, and always ask big questions. We'll see you later. <laughs>